Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 3, and we'll read down through verse number 8. We'll be looking down through verse 15 this evening for the message. The Bible says, beginning in verse 3, "...in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit." Joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk ye in him. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Chapter 2, verse 7 is our theme verse this year. Look at verse 8 with me. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit and the tradition of men after the rudiment of the world and not after Christ. Let's go back and read verse 7 out loud together. Can we do that? Ready? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We're in the middle of a series of sermons about planting the seeds. And tonight uh, we're going to look at this topic, poisoning the root system. Poisoning the root system. Satan wants nothing more than to kill any signs of Christian life that would be in your heart. And he is working overtime to make sure that there is no fruit that's produced in your life as a Christian. He may have lost your soul from hell, but that doesn't mean that he has to let you succeed in this on this side of eternity. He's doing everything he can to ruin you. Tonight, we're going to look at Satan and his attempt to ruin your Christian faith and talk about how we can prevent that from happening. Poisoning the root system. That's Satan's game. Let's pray. Lord, tonight, would you help us to understand the Scripture, the truth, uh, drive it home to our hearts, and help us to leave here, Lord, with a better understanding of changes that we need to make. Lord, I pray that we would find our completion not in some worldly philosophy, worldly tradition, or uh, worldly uh, behavior, but Lord, uh, uh, we, we would find our completion, our completeness in you and you alone. And so, Lord, uh, help drive these truths home tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, how many sports fans, even casual sports fans, do we have in the room tonight? Would you raise your hand if you were at the least a casual sports fan, okay? Uh, uh, The more intense you get with sports, you will realize there are some sports rivalries that just up the ante and are intense. Boston and New York. That's a, that's a uh, rivalry, isn't it? I, I have seen some Yankees-Red Sox games where they have come to fists on the field. Um, my wife is from Peru, and I know this is a rivalry many of you would not know about. Uh, but um, Peru, uh, their great soccer rival is their neighboring nation of Chile. And it is as intense as Boston and New York, if not more so. And they're playing each other in a tournament semifinal this Wednesday. So I'm announcing that. So if you don't see my wife in church, you know where she is. Amen. She's watching in the nursery. She's going to kill me after church. No, she'll be here. She'll be here. Trust me. Um, there are some other rivalries out there. Um, uh, there are uh, rivalries when it comes to every sport. But there's one rivalry in college football 
that is as strong as any other college football rivalry. Now, there's Washington and Washington State out west. Um, there is uh, there is Ohio State and Michigan. That's a big rivalry game uh, to watch. But uh, there's one in the southeast, and you you live down that way, so you're going to know exactly where I'm going, Pearl. But Alabama and Auburn is an intense rivalry, football rivalry. They call that game, they play every year, the Iron Bowl. Now, uh, I am a diehard University of Alabama Crimson Tide fan because I lived there as a teenager. And as soon as I stopped at a rest area, our vehicle stopped at a rest area on our way into the state, someone was wearing an Alabama hat and they looked at me and they said, who are you cheering for? And I said, I don't know. He said, you live here, you got to pick one. You don't get to live in the state and not cheer for one of the teams. And so um, I picked the University of Alabama. They were terrible at the time. They've been really, really good the last several years, and so it's been convenient to be a fan. But I've been a fan going back into the early 2000s. Well, uh, in uh, Auburn, on the University of Auburn, they have a place called Tumor's Corner. Tumor's Corner, uh, where the fans and students gather after an Auburn football win. And if Auburn wins a really big, important game, uh, they will have thrown toilet paper. They will toilet paper this tree. College students have some weird habits, but that's uh, what they would do. In 2010, the University of Alabama played their annual game against their cross-state rival, Auburn, in dramatic fashion, Alabama, the game was tied with just a few seconds left in the fourth quarter. Alabama was lining up to attempt a long field goal that if this ball went through, they would win. Now, Alabama has had problems with field goal kickers for years, and it just seems to be something that plagues them. They lined up to take this long, long kick, 45, 50 plus yard kick, and the ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage. It was caught in the end zone by an Auburn player, and that That Auburn player, with zeros on the clock, ran that ball, I believe it was 106 yards, all the way back to the other end zone, and the game went from Alabama having a chance to win, and Auburn having very little chance to win a regulation, to Auburn walking off the field victorious. For us Alabama fans, it was a bitter loss. I remember watching that game, turning the TV off in disgust, and being in a bad mood for quite some time. Now, while it didn't sit well with this Alabama fan, there is another Alabama fan that took that loss to a whole nother level. His name is Harvey Updike Jr. Harvey Updike Jr. was so upset about this loss that he went and got some poisons, some herbicides. He traveled to the campus of Auburn and in the middle of the night, poured those herbicides on those iconic trees, oak trees, in Tumor's Corner. Sometime later, the trees began to die, and the manhunt began to find who had poisoned the roots of these of this oak tree. Uh, Brother Joe, I didn't get it in the slideshow, but on the server, in the AV booth folder, there is a, that pic, picture of that tree is there. If you could get that up, and when you have it up, just throw it on the screen if that's possible. Um, the manhunt began to find who had done this to the, this tree, this iconic tree, this hundred plus year old oak tree that uh, just uh, uh, was as much of an identifier with the University of Auburn as anything else. 
And so one day the phone rang and a gentleman came, Mr. Updike, came on a sports radio talk show. There's the tree. There's them analyzing the tree after they took it down. Um, they, and he calls in and says, I'm the guy that poisoned the tree because of the way the Auburn fans acted after we lost. Oh my. Someone's a little overboard with being a fan. Well, the word fan comes from the, the word fanatic. I'd say this guy was fanatical. Took it too far. Well, what happened to him? Well, he was arrested. He was sentenced to six months in prison, five years of probation, and had to pay a, an $800,000 fine. $800,000. That is an expensive oak tree. All right? I think it was as much to do with... Uh, Passionate, the DA was probably an Auburn fan. That's what I'm guessing. So, or maybe the judge that passed down the sentence was an Auburn fan. But, uh, rivalries bring passion. Rivalries bring passion. Some of you that are not sports fans, you shake your head and say, I don't get it. I just don't understand it. But for someone like myself, who is an avid sports fan, rivalries bring passion. There have been People who have been killed in stadiums because they were dressed up and cheering for the wrong team. I think out in California a few years ago, there was a baseball fan who was killed out in the parking lot because he was wearing a jersey for the other team. And the, the, the comments made in the parking lot escalated. Rage ended that person's life. Rivalries bring passion. Rivalries bring about hatred. I will loosely and jokingly say, Oh, I hate Auburn. Or I hate the Steelers. Or I hate, should I say it, the Patriots. Some say... Heresy in the church. All right. Um, Do you know that there is a rivalry going on that we cannot see between God and the devil? And as passionate as Mr. Updike Jr. was against Auburn, and as ridiculous of links he went to to show that passion, Satan hates God. He hates God. On such a, such a passionate level, he wants to destroy the thing that God loves the most. Well, what is it that God loves the most? He loves me and you. He has redeemed our soul. We are precious in His sight. Any evidences of fruit production in the life of a Christian, Satan wants to dump poison uh, herbicides on the root system of your life to see you destroyed. This is due to Satan's rivalry against God. And it didn't take Satan very long, did it? You go back to the Garden of Eden. And what did Satan do as soon as he was thrown out of heaven? He came down, he possessed a serpent, and he went right at Adam and Eve to destroy uh, their relationship with God. I propose that Satan wants nothing more than to destroy the roots that you have developed in Christ. You, or we must rather, be diligent in protecting the strong roots that we have developed 
for our Savior. Now, let's just say this right now. None of us are where we want to be. None of us are where we probably even ought to be. All of us could be more vigilant and careful in sharing the gospel with the world around us. All of us can look at that song we sang out of Galatians 5 and pick a couple of those fruits that maybe aren't just so great in our life. Maybe you're good at loving, but that whole long-suffering thing, ah, you got some work to do there. Maybe you've got peace, uh, but, but, but maybe one of the others, that meekness thing, that's just not really working out for you. And so some of these fruits aren't all there, but uh, for all of us, there are those evidences of our Christian life that are strong and that are showing. And every one of those productive fruits for the Savior that we have, Satan wants to destroy. Do you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to shut down our Saturday morning soul winning meeting. He wants to shut down our Tuesday evening follow-up program. He wants to discourage you from stopping by that track rack in the lobby and picking up gospel tracks to pass out. He wants the press that uh, that prints those tracks to burn to the ground. And if they're in your pocket, he wants to make you feel like you don't want to pass those out. Don't pass those out. People are going to think you're weird and funny. Uh, uh, God, Satan does not want uh, uh, you to succeed as a Christian in convincing others with your boldness for Christ. He wants to dump poison all over it. He wants to see that Ruin. And so tonight, we're going to go to Colossians 2. Uh, the church of Colossae was not founded by uh, Paul. In fact, we don't know that Paul ever went there, but Paul wrote a letter to them, and on the high marks and praise of other evangelists that had traveled through there that were friends of Paul, he knew that this church was rooted in Christ, and he wanted to encourage them to keep a sharp eye out for Satan, so that Satan would not come in the middle of the night and dump poison on the roots of their heart. And we can take some of those same admonitions. Out of Colossians 2 tonight, let's look at four thoughts on this topic of the poisoning of the root system. Number one, notice the process to strong roots. The process... Just strong roots. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here tonight because a lot of what we've been talking about this year is has to do with this in a roundabout way. But let's look at verse number 5 here. Look at Colossians 2.5. It says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying, look here, and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Letter A, notice, our routine. Our routine. That word order means a plan of action or a routine of action. You know what someone, uh, he was saying here is that you all are rooted in Christ because you have a routine to be rooted in Christ. I've heard people get up and say, I don't have a prayer time. I have a prayer life. Okay, you pious punk. <laughs> I hope you have a prayer life. And I'm not meaning to mock having a prayer life. But I am uh, mocking a little bit someone who says, I don't need a prayer time. Yes, you do. How many of you have learned that if there's not a scheduled time to pray, then you're going to end up having gaps in your Christian life where you just don't pray? Have you all learned that? You are not a good Christian on accident. You are a good Christian because you have ordered yourself in such a way to do that. There are mornings where my alarm clock goes off and I have figured out how to turn that thing off in my sleep. And I'll wake up, my head will pop off the pillow, and I'll rush out the door to get to work, or I'll rush out the door to get to an appointment, and the next thing I know, I haven't spent time in the Bible. I haven't spent time in prayer. And there's this nagging thought in the back of my head, 
When are you going to walk with me? When are you going to give that time to me? Oh yes, you were up till midnight or 12.30 uh, uh, with all of the busyness of life. Yeah, you had to get back up at 5.30 or 6 the next morning and, and, and you're, you're working off just a handful of hours of sleep several days in a row. You're not grouchy uh, only because of your lack of sleep. You're grouchy because you're out of your routine of walking with me. There is not that orderliness in your life. Listen, there's something to be said about a Christian who gets up on a daily basis and he reads his Bible and he prays and every time the church doors squeak, he's there in the pew. She's there in the pew walking with God, enjoying the church service. There are times where the sermon doesn't always apply to that person, but they're there every time they can be so that the Word of God can go forth in their life. There's that routine. And how did this church, the individuals that made up this church. How did they get to a place where they were rooted in Christ? Well, they had an orderliness about them. It was a planned event. Do you have that plan in your life to walk with God, to keep your sin list short, to keep things clear between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ? We're going to rub each other the wrong way sometimes. We're going to make decisions that the other one doesn't always like. Uh, there are going to be things that come in our life that maybe even put a burr, uh, a bitterness underneath our spiritual sin, uh, skin against God. We've got to make sure that we have a routine way of getting our hearts right with God. How was this church? How did this church develop strong roots? Well, Paul points to their order, and he says, you have strong roots because you do things in order. Letter B, notice uh, our relationship, our relationship. How do you get strong roots? Well, it isn't just going through the mechanics of it. It isn't just getting up and reading your Bible. It isn't just going through a prayer list. It isn't just going through the mechanics of going to church or even going out soul winning. There is a relationship that is at stake when we do those things. Take a husband and wife who are very, very, very upset with each other. And take a husband and wife who are in love with each other and put them in the same car at, the, at those two different times. Same, same husband and wife. You know what? That husband and wife can be a foot and a half away from each other when they're happy and a foot and a half away from each other when they're upset. But you know what? At one point, they're really, really close. And the other time, they're really, really far away. Everybody understand what I'm saying with this? You can go through the routine of being close to God in proximity, but being far from Him with your heart. It isn't just enough to go through the routine of reading your Bible, going through the routine of praying, going through the routine of attending church and doing all of the things, the checklist of being a good Christian. God does not just want a list. God does not want a routine alone. God wants a relationship with you. And what did this church of Colossae accomplish corporately? And then the individuals that make up that church, they had developed a strong relationship with their Savior. Look at uh, verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. It says there, Rooted and built up in Him and established established in the faith. Now, that is not a word we use very much in today's English. We might use the word established, but not the word established. So I got curious and I did some digging. And that word established is our modern uh, English day word strengthened, strengthened in the faith or established in the faith. And the word means this. It means to receive more inner strength, 
to be strengthened in one's heart. You know what this is? This is a strong root system that's continuing to spawn and grow even more roots and to send those roots down deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil. It's saying, I'm not satisfied with the root system I have. I want that root system to be stronger than even it is. Why? Uh, look, um, uh, with my relationship with Jesus Christ, there have been lots of times where I've been very excited and happy about a new level I've reached. Can I tell you what I have found as a Christian is that no matter how good my relationship with Jesus Christ gets, I still want it to be deeper and better. I think about David. The Bible says he was a man that was after God's own heart. You know why he was after it? Because he never could fully get it. He, he continued to pursue and pursue and pursue. He continued to send those, those heart roots down deeper and make them stronger in the soil. Strengthened, established in the faith. Now, go back up and look at verse number 5 here. This concept of our relationship. Look there, it says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order. That's the routine. And the steadfastness. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Hey, storms come and blow through your life. And you just continue to be steadfast. I love to see a Christian that goes through a, uh, something that would rattle the average person and they just continue to be faithful, to be, continue to be consistent. Their house could burn to the ground, they're in church on Sunday or as soon as they can be back. Uh, I think of a, a Christian couple that had a baby die of sudden infant death syndrome and the child was on, uh, on its last limb and they rushed that baby to the hospital and the baby died there in the hospital. The pastor showed up at the hospital with that newborn baby in the mother's arms and the pastor came rushing in to that emergency room where the baby had just been declared dead and the mom holds the baby close to her heart with tears running down her cheeks and she looks up at the pastor and says, this is really really hard, but this does not change the fact that God is still good to me. You know what that is? That's a woman who is steadfast in her faith. Let the storms of life blow. Let the tree uh, uh, wave in the wind. But those roots are down in Christ and they're not coming up. Why? Because there's a relationship that goes beyond a phony faith down to an authentic faith. And tonight I ask you this, is your faith Phony and shallow and surface, or is it is it deep and authentic and private in the closet with the Lord? Number one, the process to strong roots. Notice number two, Satan's poisoning of our roots. Now tonight, everybody here, I believe, that's sitting under the sound of my voice, every one of you have some sort of Christian root system in your heart. If you didn't, you would not be here tonight. Now, there are plenty of people outside the walls of this church that also have some sort of Christian root system, but I'm not preaching to them, I'm preaching to you. You have this root system, it might be weak, it might be strong, it might be shallow, it might be uh, 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 of great depth and profundity, it, it might be well established, but let me tell you, no matter how strong that, uh, that, that root system is, Satan wants to poison the root system of your heart. And he has some ways that he'll do it, and these are outlined for us in verse number 8. Now look at verse number 8. Beware, lest any man poison you, lest any man spoil you. Now that word spoil, what it means, if you go and look at it in its original context, it means to take control of. Lest any man take control of you, spoil you, poison you. 
How? How is this going to happen? How is the Christian's root system going to be destroyed where the tree is taken down and is no more? Through philosophy and vain deceit. Through philosophy and vain deceit. Notice where the commas are. After the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. After, or rather through philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, and the rudiment of the world. Now I'm going to give you an A, B, and a C here all at once, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll look at these a little more closely one at a time. Notice letter A, worldly philosophies. Worldly philosophies. Again, verse 8 talks about that. Uh, Lest any man spoil you through philosophies. Letter B, worldly practices. Worldly practices. Look at uh, the, the next phrase there. After the tradition of men. You know what the traditions of men are? They're practices. They're, they're, they're habits that people get into. And the traditions of men are a very powerful thing. Letter C, notice worldly principles. Worldly principles. Um, I, uh, I, I've given you three more words there. And the first one would be wisdom. Worldly philosophies, worldly wisdom. Do you know that there is a lot of uh, people out there that have a lot of opinions that are devoid of God? They're humanistic in nature. They worship the anthro. They worship the human, the man. And they don't believe in a human soul. Now, a lot of... uh, Now, there are Christian psychiatrists. All right, I'm for them. There are Christian counselors. I'm for them. There are people that understand the human psyche and the mind on a level I do not understand it or pretend to understand it. All right? I'm not the be-all, know-all. I can do some counseling on some level. There are some things that are so above my pay grade or out of my league, I would rather send someone down the road to a Christian psychiatrist or counselor. However, a large chunk of psychiatrists, a large chunk of philosophers... They do not even believe in the human soul that it exists. If you don't believe in the human soul, then how can you counsel someone about their broken human soul? Now, oftentimes what they'll do, and look, I've had them sit in my office and tell me, folks that have gone to these people, is instead of actually helping them, they put them on drugs they become addicted to that greatly alter their mind and ruin their life. I'm not going to say any names, but we have some people in this church who are addicted to drugs they were put on when they were depressed and down. And now those drugs have ruined, ruined their lives. Ruined their lives. There's a lot of worldly wisdom out there that can seep its way into our hearts. And it isn't just about drugs tonight. It's also, it's also about worldly philosophies and ways of thinking and ways of doing things. And Satan wants to come in the middle of the night when you're not expecting it and he wants to dump worldly philosophies. Psalm 1, I'm going to quote it here. I think most of us here know it. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not. Go back to worldly uh, uh, philosophies on the screen there for me. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what that's saying there? Blessed is the man that doesn't listen to the wisdom of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly. Christian, who are you going to to get your advice? 
Who are you going to to get your counsel? Because trust me, you may hear at the most three or four lessons or sermons a week from this church, but you're listening to hundreds of hours of preaching from a secular world through through co-workers at work, through commercials on the TV, through agendas, hidden agendas that are pushed through movies and TV shows, uh, uh, through all of the radio commercials and radio personality voices that are out there. You know what that is? That's worldly philosophies and Satan is seeking to come in the night and dump that on the root system of the soil of your heart so he can poison you, at the least limit you and your production at the most destroy you. Let's look again at worldly practices or the traditions of men. Look back at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. You know what this is? This is worldly practices or Ways, ways, the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Boy, I love it when the Old Testament and the New Testament line right up. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. You know what the way is, right? The way is your life path. It's your habits. It's the, it's the manner in which you go about living your life. Blesses the man that doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Does not uh, join himself with those who do those things in those ways. Worldly practices. Now, I could get specific tonight and I could name various practices that are out there. But I do know this. The traditions of men are very, 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 very powerful. It's hard for me to get some Christians that even step foot in the church on Sunday... Because society dictates to them that they've got to work overtime on Sunday. Or they've got to take a job that works them on Sunday. You know what that is? That's the way of sinners. There is a day you're supposed to give to go to church. There's a day you're supposed to give to be in the Lord's house. Now, I didn't, make, I didn't invent the church. I didn't establish this church. Barry Brown may have been the founding pastor that planted this church, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of White Oak Baptist Church, and He is the head of the church. It was His idea for us to gather here and have church. And so if you're working on Sunday, or boating on Sunday, or playing on Sunday, or sleeping on Sunday, or out partying on Sunday, you're showing that the traditions of men are more powerful than your faith. And Satan works hard to dump the poison of traditions, of practices on the soil of our heart. Well, how about the third one here? Worldly principles. And I put down here worldview. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The month of June, in such a a sad, disturbing, heartbreaking way, has been labeled Pride Month. How many of you have had to tolerate that or have seen that and had to tolerate that this month? Um, You know, there is a difference between a rainbow and a rainbow flag. And you don't really see the rainbow out this month. You see the rainbow flag out this month. The rainbow stands for God's promises. The rainbow flag stands for rebellion against God. Right? Satan loves to counterfeit what God does. Loves to counterfeit. Have you noticed how toxic and violent and nasty those who hold to opposing worldviews are to Christians? How awful it gets? We, um, we are positioned with our Supreme Court where some decisions could come down that could provide us religious liberty, potentially, possibly, 
No changes are made to the Supreme Court for two or three decades. And you would think that demons were being exercised by some of these decisions that are being made. Boy, the vitriol and the anger and the hatred. Why? Why? I can look at someone who is wearing a, a, a pride-type shirt, and I can look at them with a heart of pity and love and not hate them. But boy, if I'm wearing a shirt that says, I love Jesus on it, or something that identifies me with the Lord, there's a strong vitriolic hatred back. Why is that? Why is that? Because they're opposing world views. Satan wants nothing more than to throw the seeds of the wrong ideology in your heart. The ones that you uprooted years ago and allow them to start coming back. And he's very, very careful at how he does it. The poison, the poison of our, poisoning of our roots. Satan's poisoning of our roots. Christian, have you allowed some of the world's philosophies to get into your heart? Look, I, I gotta say that we've gotta be very careful about running to certain books to read in order to get our opinions on how life works. If that person who wrote that book is not a Christian on some level, in some way, and does not hold to the Bible, you probably ought not be reading it. Satan wants nothing more than to poison the roots of your heart. Number three, notice Satan's plot to destroy strong roots. Satan's plot. He's got his poison. He's looking on, he's got it in hand and he knows how to do it. Look, you're not smarter than Satan. The most spiritual, godly person in the room tonight. It doesn't really matter who it is, but whoever it is. You can take the most seasoned Christians who have the deepest roots in here. Satan's dropped trees bigger than you before. And he can drop you too. And he is plotting to find a weakness, to find a time where you're not watching guard over your root system so he can come and begin to infect and hurt the soil of your heart and the root system of your heart. How does Satan go about doing this? Well, Paul is going to tell the church of Colossae exactly how Satan uh, intends to tear down their church and tear down the individuals in their church. We would be wise to see what Paul's admonition is and for us to be vigilant in looking out for it. Letter A, speaking of Satan, notice his message. His message. Look with me at verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiment of the world, and not after Christ. Look at verse 9. For in him, speaking of Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know what his message is? His message is deceptive. Here's his message. Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough. Hey, you know what? The Bible is a really good book and it says a lot of good things, but there are things that um, uh, the Bible doesn't have the answer for and you need to turn to these people and these ideas and these philosophies in order to find the answer. He's deceptive with that. Hey, you know what? Uh, there's nothing wrong with you going to church, but there's also nothing wrong with you going and hanging out with some buddies after work and, 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 and behaving in a way that just really isn't all that Christian. Hey, you know what? There is uh, nothing wrong with you holding to uh, the Bible and believing it's God's Word, but you know what? Uh, uh, society's trying to shove these agendas down your throat, and you want to make sure you appease them. You know what? Christians are guilty of oftentimes, and we have Christians here at our church that do this. Uh, we want to take what the Bible says, and we want to take an opposing view of what the world says, and we want to try to somehow get them to meet in the middle. 
You know, that's dangerous. That's where theistic evolution comes from. The belief that somehow God used the evolutionary system to bring about the earth. No, 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 no. The evening and the morning were the first day. The Bible's very clear on that. We can't just go get evolution that was invented by some kook in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the 20th century. 20th century, yeah. And, and then take what the Bible says and somehow marry them together. We can't do that. But Satan wants us to do that with all kinds of things. He wants us to take practices and bring them together. And philosophies and bring them together. And it's a watering down of the truth. What is he saying? He's deceptive. He's saying, no, look, Christ is not enough. The, the Bible is a good book and it says a lot of good things, but you need to consider these other philosophies and you need to consider these other practices and you need to consider these other, other life principles. His, his deception. Let me say this as well. His distraction. His distraction. All this is under letter A. Go with me, um, if you would. Uh, let's see here. His, oh yeah, well, rather, uh, his distraction. Um, if Satan can't fool you intellectually, he'll, he'll just get you through the pride of your flesh, the lust of your flesh. You ever been, um, you ever been sitting on your couch at about 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon and thought, man, I really don't want to get up and go to church tonight. This sofa is so comfortable. And that TV show is so good. And it's, it's hot or it's cold outside or it's dark outside. It's not dark right now, but it is most of the time in Connecticut on Sundays. And I just really would rather not. What he can't convince you with philosophically, he'll deceive you through your own sinful nature. The next thing you know, you'll wake up and your tree isn't producing any fruit. Instead of loving your enemies, you find yourself even being hateful toward your family. Instead of the spirit of joy that just exudes from you, even during the hard times, you find yourself just being measly mouthed and a murmurer. Instead of there being this peace that passes all understanding, you fret and you're filled with anxiety and fear. And you turn around and go, what happened to my fruit. Well, where Satan couldn't convince you philosophically to fall, he sure convinced your flesh that it was okay to just take a step back and not advance for the Lord. And the next thing you know, you've drifted away from God. He's distracted you. I watch as people are faithful to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And then they'll drop off Wednesday nights. Or they'll drop off Sunday nights. And then it's another service. And then it's hit or miss on Sunday morning. And the next thing you know, they'll go months without being in church. It isn't necessarily that a philosophy got them. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It could just be that Satan distracted them with shiny objects around in the world. And I've got to tell you that you can go get those today. You'll regret it later. Satan has a message, and that message is, Hey, listen, the Bible's a good book, but Christ and God's Word is not quite enough. You need to consider these other opinions, these other ideas, and you need to add them to the list. Letter B, notice his methods. His methods. Look at verse number 4. In this I say, lest any man should, look at that word, beguile, should beguile you. That word beguile carries with it the idea of putting someone in a trance, convincing them. Look here, beguile you with enticing words. 
hey, you need to be careful unless somebody comes up and they are able to use their words to deceive you. Is that not what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Satan slithered right up and very carefully and methodically talked her into violating the law of God. There are people out there who are way smarter than you and I are. Yes, they're smarter than you. How many you sit next to a know-it-all? You're smart enough not raise your hand. Good job. Okay. Um, George, did you raise your hand? I think you're the know-it-all in that relationship. I'm just going to step out of branch to say that. Um, love you, George. Um, Satan... Where Satan can't, um, what Satan will work to do is he'll work to send people along your path who are smarter than you. And he'll work through those people. Look, when someone stands in the street and they act the fool and they hold up some sign or they're throwing a brick through a window or they're burning a car on fire, how many of you have seen the Antifa protests that are going on? It's, it's madness. It's chaos. And Satan has those methods out there of just utter chaos. But oftentimes, Satan will send somebody along and say, yeah, I'm an atheist, but I don't hate God. I just choose not to believe. And he will make, that person will make an argument, and you'll go, wow, I never even considered that. And the next thing you know, you're beginning to doubt your own faith. Why? Satan has sent along somebody who's beguiling you with enticing words. You be careful about that. You be careful about that. You'll have somebody come along and say, you know, why are you Baptists so legalistic? Why are you Baptists so, such a stickler for personal holiness? We're a stickler for personal holiness because holiness is a thing in the New Testament that we're commanded to hold to. Now, we don't have to be jerks about it, but we can hold to a standard of holiness in our own lives. But someone will come along and say, you know, we're under grace. We're not under the law. That means we get to live however we want. And they will open the Bible and they will make an argument of Christian liberty and say, Christian liberty means you can dress how you want, listen to what you, whatever you want, and go where you want, behave however you want, and, and, and God's going to forgive you. And I would just remind you, we should not be abusing grace. You be careful because God, Satan's going to send people along who don't look like the devil and they will deceive you. If you're not careful. Let's notice, lastly, number four, our protection of strong roots. Our protection of strong roots. Look down, and I want to spend just a few minutes here. I'm almost done. Look at verse number 10. It says here, And ye, speaking of the church, all of you, are complete in Him. Are you complete in Jesus? Which is the head of the principality and power. Look at verse 11. Please pay attention while we read these verses, because they're rich. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Meaning, the cutting away of the sin from the heart. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him uh, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, uh, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the Ordinances. There's, there's, there's those the traditions of men, those practices that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphant, triumphing over them in, in it. Let's keep reading. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. Verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward, and of voluntary humility, and worshiping of angels, uh, intruding into those things which he uh, hath not seen, vainly puffed up uh, his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, speaking of Christ, from which all the body of joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish uh, with the using after the commandment and doctrines of men. Verse 19 talks about how that Jesus Christ is our head, and the head is what provides the nutrients to the body. I am to get my philosophy not from some secular book. I'm to get my philosophy from the Holy Bible. I'm not to go to some psychologist or some person who thinks they're smart, smarter than God. I'm to turn to the Word of God because it has all the answers to life's problems. All of it. You say, well, Pastor, what about the the medical world? I mean, surely you believe we should go to doctors. And of course I believe we should go to doctors. But Scripture is clear that if you're putting your faith in a doctor before you're putting your faith in the great physician, then you have greatly erred. God can use a doctor to heal your body. But it will be God that will have healed your body. Listen, God can use the words of a Christian counselor who studied the Bible and greatly understands it to help you through a hard time. But make no mistake about it, it is God who gets the credit for restoring you. Not some smart person who has a grip on, 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 on human psychology and the way the brain works with the soul. You make sure that you turn to God and He is the head of all things. And we're not getting our philosophies from some person, some ideology, some book we found. Listen, I love what Solomon said. There is nothing new under the sun. There's just isn't anything new under the sun. And you'll see preachers who stand up and they'll try to present some brand new truth they found in Scripture. If it hasn't been preached in 2,000 years of the church history, then it probably shouldn't be getting preached. Because it's in there, and it's been studied and dissected by people a whole lot smarter uh, than me and you. And we need to trust this Scripture as the answer. The question is, well again, let me just say this. We believe that the Word of God is, this is the written Word of God, and Jesus is the living Word of God. This is the Word. Jesus is this book. Does He not have the power to keep your root system strong? then why would we ever turn to anyone else or anything else other than the pages of Scripture and the truths within it? 
If somebody has thrown a philosophy your way and you think, boy, that sure makes sense, you better measure it against the Scripture. And you say, well, it doesn't contradict the Scripture, but it doesn't necessarily, I'm just not sure where it is. Then you better not hold real tight to that thing. You better be really careful about that. Satan wants to poison your root system. He wants to drop your tree. He wants you to quit producing fruit. The question is, are you going to let him do it or are you going to be aware? Are you established in the faith? Are you being strengthened in your faith? Uh, Are you steadfast in your faith? Are the root systems going down deep and strong and pulling up the nutrients so you can produce those saint fruits and those spirit fruits? If so, do not let Satan destroy the tree of your heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, thank you for your word. I hope, Lord, that it will speak to each of our hearts. Lord, help it to uh, touch us in a way where we will reconsider and reevaluate, Lord, uh, where we're getting our reading materials, who we're listening to on TV or the radio. Lord, too many Christians spend way too much time listening to radio heads give their political opinions. And many of these folks are, are maybe at best loosely Christians or just not Christians at all. And Lord, we'll take their opinions and we'll run with them like they're gospel truth. Even when it comes down to our politics, Lord, may we, may we not look to some lost person to tell us what to believe. May we turn to your word and let the truths of Scripture help us to be rooted in Christ. Lord, we want to all produce fruit. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to watch, walk guard around the tree of our heart. In Jesus' name.